even when we're feeling down and out, yeah, we still should rejoice. Even when it doesn't really make sense to us, yeah, we still need to rejoice. Because <laughs> why? Because he's done so much. He's done so much. And today, hopefully, we'll get into this Christmas story and uh, kind of dig in a little deeper and maybe think of some things you never thought about. And hopefully it builds our faith up. And, and this is what I want you to remember going through all of this the next few minutes is no matter what you're facing, no matter how bad you may seem that it is, no matter how the devil tells you or other people tell you that this isn't going to work, that's not going to work, just forget about it. Why? Because he came. Because he made it through. And if God can keep us through that and God's done so many things for us already, this stuff that we think is so bad isn't really nothing. So don't sweat it, huh? <laughs> you just keep rejoicing. Praise God. Let's start in Galatians, the fourth chapter of Galatians, uh, two verses. Then we're going to go to John, and then we're going to go to Matthew, and then we can be seated, okay? Galatians 4, 4 through 6. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, Here's why we're rejoicing, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Aren't you glad you're a joint heir with him? Ha! John 16, 32 and 33. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered every man to his own and shall leave me alone and yet I am not come because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. <laughs> That's another reason why we're going to rejoice. Last of uh, scriptures here, Matthew 1, 22 through 25. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, virgins shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord bidden him, took him, uh, took unto him his wife, and knew not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Aren't you glad you know his name? Praise God. Lord bless you. You may be seated this morning. <clears throat> Our schedule that we have somehow just kind of, well, I helped them out at work, and I worked last week, and I was to teach last week, so we moved the schedule around somehow. And Anyway, long story short, I get to teach and talk about the Christmas story again. I love, 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 love talking about the Christmas story because it is so full of uh, mystery. It's so full of uh, empty things that we get to 
kind of try to figure out ourselves, and that's what we're going to try to do. In the art world, there's a term that's called visual lethargy. How many's ever heard of that? It states this, the more that you see it, the less you take in. You become so familiar with the art or the object that you take things for granted and you lose all the wonder and the awe and you had that you had when you first laid your eyes on it. It is said that familiarity breeds apathy. And here's a statement that somebody made. It says, one of the greatest barriers to knowing something is to think that we already know it. Woo. Every year it's the same story. Ah, that's just a story. <laughs> There's a lot to it, my friend. We're not going to get into all of it, but I think we're going to find some things out. I've, I've learned things just studying this that I never thought about and that I know things had to happen. And it, I, I pause and I look into the mirror and I look into my own life and I know that things had to happen. And then we look back. It's exciting, Brother Glon, to know that God was involved somehow. And we just played along with it. And you know what's really good about it is all the others and all the other people and the governments and the princesses and the and and all the uh, the the other uh, you know higher ups that get involved in it they don't know they think they're doing their thing but you know what it's a God thing ha and it's Christmas time so don't think that we know it all there's a lot behind that. That's why I love history so much. I love objects. I, m my son got me for my birthday one year a cannonball. Just just a cannonball from the, the Battle of Norfolk, Virginia in the Revolutionary War. And I could sit there and stare at that thing all day long and try to figure out, well, this went... Sister Khan and I talk a lot about history and stuff. It's, it's amazing. I can go to the museum and stare at Ulysses S. Grant boots all day long. Talk about them. Because it, it's full of wonder. It's full of, uh, you know, um, ideas and full of how and explanations of what went on. That's, that's why I love history. I want to know how things happen. I want to know what people did. I just don't want to know the end of it all. I'm going to try to figure it out. So this Christmas story is an amazing miracle in itself. So we want to take a little deep look into our questions to ask why things happen, how things happen, and maybe we can answer them and some we're not going to be able to answer because there really isn't one. To start off, this is called What Are the Odds? In the Old Testament, there's over 300 prophecies and references to Jesus being born in Bethlehem. So what does that mean? That's what a big deal that is. 300 references of prophecies that this one babe, this one incident in, in history fulfilled all of those? Here's the odds of that. You take a two-inch square tile. A lot of those are in your bathroom, maybe on your bathroom floor, two-by-two, two, little ceramic tile. You take it and you paint it red. Now, you take 
all the other tiles and you fill up the entire state of Texas. 268,597 square miles. And you put all these tiles in the state of Texas. Fill them all up. Cover everything. Every inch. Cover it up. Not just one inch, but you do it eight inches deep. The whole state of Texas full of these tiles. And then you take whatever you want, and then you go, and then you run through the whole state of Texas, and you pick a spot, and you stick your hand down in those eight inches of tiles, and you grab that red one. Not going to happen. The odds of that is just if Jesus fulfilled just eight of the prophecies. That's pretty good. But it's not just eight. How many? Now, you think that we get ourselves in a predicament that God can't work out, that God can't help us work out, that God can't handle it, and we worry ourselves sick, don't we? This is just the start. Let's go to Luke, the second chapter, verses 1 through 7. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. So there's a difference in the dates there. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, be great with child. We could stop right there and ask Joseph, what are you thinking, boy? I thought of that. I said, this guy's nuts. Just put, just leave her in Nazareth. Eight months plus? And you want to take her on this journey. What? What? Mary. Didn't your mom, didn't she say something to you and say, no, you just stay home, let him go. There's a reason why she had to go. Ha. Now we think, oh, well, we would do something different. But no, there's a reason why all of this had to happen. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, the first thing we want to talk about here is Caesar Augustus. That's a pinpoint in history on the calendar as to when all of this happened. Caesar Augustus was the first emperor of Rome. He was the most powerful, listen, he was the most powerful, the most popular, the most influential person at the time. There was nobody greater than Caesar Augustus. Agreed? Yep. Pretty rough dude. He was noted for doubling the size of the Roman Empire, famous for building roads so his mighty army could quickly move about the kingdoms. This is why I think when I, when I think of, and, and I question sometimes, I think, why did you come, Jesus, at this specific time in history? This is one of the reasons why. 
That was the then known world. And Rome made it so that everything could go around. Just a couple of small points. Caesar Augustus reigned over Rome for 30 years. There are statues. There are images. He was an author of books. He wrote books that uh, uh, Augustus did himself. He even named a month on the Gregorian calendar after him, and we call it. So he's a pretty big dude, wasn't he? And he said, we need some more money, so we're going to tax everybody in our provinces. Now, that taxing isn't like April 14th. That's another reason why I thought, why in the world did it, I, I looked and I tried to find out this decree that Caesar Augustus did, and there's not a whole lot about it. It just explains the taxing situations that Rome went through. They set everything up, and it wasn't that Mary and Joseph went there to pay taxes, which a lot of people think, well, he had a bag full of money, and he was a carpenter in Nazareth, so I owe this amount. He did, they didn't pay. They just registered to have everything happen. That's why there's another line in there that says when this governor was the governor of, of Syria, Cyrenius. That's when all the tax would happen. They taxed, they collected the money later. You just had to go and register. That's all you need to do. Mary, you can stay in Nazareth. I'll go and write your name. She probably couldn't write anyway. History says she was illiterate. She couldn't read or write. And that's how they treated and kept the women back then is that all you do is stir gravy in the kitchen and make babies. That's all you're for. God don't think so. God don't think so. So they made a lot of stuff. There's statues, books, all kinds of stuff. This is about Caesar Augustus. Listen, Jesus had no statues made of him, no images drawn of him. He didn't author any books. He didn't have to. God moved on people and wrote about the Bible. His ministry only lasted three years compared to this Augustus guy for 30 years. But his birth divided history itself. It's not no longer a certain era. Of, it's before Christ and after his death. That is powerful, isn't it? Here's another thing. Billions of people each year celebrate what went on in Bethlehem. They don't talk about Caesar Augustus. Huh. So this Caesar guy was just a little bitty footnote on the side of this Christmas story. All you big powerful people, just a little footnote to start it all off. You ain't nothing. God's in control. Amen. The decree that went out was just getting people to register so Rome would begin to collect the taxes. I said that already. Nothing about the due date, but God was in control. He can use anything to get his will accomplished and his plan into action. I don't like rules. I don't like paying taxes. I don't like all these mandates and stuff that comes up, but I know, I know this. God's in control. So bring on the rules. I, I, I don't care. 
I do care, but you know what? There's not a whole lot Rods can do about it, but I know somebody that's still in control. Washington is not think they are. They just believe that they're doing everything, but God has everything orchestrated in control. If he did it back in the first century Palestine, he's certainly doing it right now. You just got to keep the faith up. That's what this Christmas story does to me. It increases my faith. So I don't have to run and hide. So bring on the rules. God's got it in his hands. We sing it. He's got the whole world in his hands. You know, it's crazy. They just don't realize they're doing God's will. And they won't listen to it. They think, they think that religion and church, beware, be ready. They're going to try to shut the church down because they hate churches that worship. So let's look at Joseph for a minute. There's no record of Joseph being spoken or anything in the Bible that says Joseph said this. But he was extremely important in this story. First of all, have, have you ever seen any documentaries about Jewish family stuff that goes on? There are um, um, chosen marriages uh, that are already made, and I think this was important to start the story out because you can't just pair Mary with somebody that's a quack. You can't just pair Mary with somebody that's, that's going to just ruin it. So Joseph was important, and the families come together. If you look at these documentaries, these Jewish families, they're serious about choosing who they're going to, their children are going to marry and all that kind of stuff. you got to pass a lot of stuff. So that went on in Nazareth, and, and Joseph uh, was, uh, you know, chosen with Mary, and it's important because he had every right to end it all. And he could by himself stand up and say, I did the right thing. I got rid of that girl because that child's not mine. And by law, they could have drug her out into the streets and stoned her and the baby if he would have done that. So this guy is important in the story. Verse uh uh, Matthew, the first chapter, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Can you imagine being Joseph and being told that? Would that ruin your day? It was a bad day when you broke up with your girlfriend, but it was nothing like this. Joseph, what? I'm with child. What? All right. And then she tried to explain it. And then he would think, because the Bible says, that, verse 19, then Joseph her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, that means drag her out in the street, make a big deal, destroy the families and all that kind of stuff. Everybody get a rock. 
And you know who gets the first stone? Joseph does. Why? Because that's my espoused wife, and now she's with somebody else's child? He gets the first rock. You see how you, when we dig into this story, it's the reasons why people just, we, we can't get this uh, uh, a vigil lethargy of all the same, I've heard it before, I've heard it before, I've heard it before, does it mean anything? It means something. When we start really thinking about what went on with this couple and how the hand of God is in it. And we know, we listen, you just don't take it for, for granted that, oh, well, God's hand's in it. Let's start there in Nazareth and in Bethlehem. God's hand's in it. Let's go through all the steps of what they went through. This is just one. So the Bible says he was minded to put her away privately. We can just do this without making a big scene. Let's just get a divorce. Let's just do it all and, you know, go that way. Thinking about it. He was thinking about it. This is why you come to church. This is why you get into the presence of God. This is why you sit here and you worship and you let the word of God sink into your heart because you start thinking about something. And yeah, you might think that it's right, but you know what? In God's plan, it's not the right thing to do. Verse 20, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall conceive with child, bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, being interpreted as God with us. We read this already, Joseph being raised up from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had been to him, took him and him his wife. He knew not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. God knows exactly when to speak to you, doesn't he? If you let him do it. If you let him do it. So Joseph was a pretty important person. Because now we're going to talk about the journey. You think, well, that was just fine. <coughs> Another thing that I really never got into, but I think about it, is what kind of a scandal is going on in Nazareth? Oh, there really wasn't any talk. Really? You're trying to tell me that people didn't talk about this Mary and the family of Joseph. And you're trying to tell me that Joseph's family kept all this quiet to themselves? that they didn't whisper anything to some other co-worker or something, that, you know, that Mary girl, you know, well, she was supposed to be a, uh, engaged to my brother, and, you know, it didn't happen. Like, you telling me that that didn't happen? I know people, and people talk. And you're telling me that there wasn't a scandal or something going on? There wasn't a whisper? You need to look at some of this stuff that the Jewish families go through. They really know how to excommunicate you. They really know how to shun you off to the side and don't ever come my way. Don't ever look at me. Don't ever do that. You're not invited to my house because what you did was wrong. They didn't understand it. 
I think that might be a reason why also Mary said, Joseph, please take me out of here. I don't know. I'm just mouthing off here. You never know. That's why some of the areas that the, the Christmas story and the Bible, you know, doesn't give us any points. We kind of can put stuff in there ourselves, I guess. I don't know. So let's quickly talk about the journey. This is, this is important. The journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. What I'm going to read to you is an article from the L.A. Times dated 1995. And I, I couldn't add anything to this, and I know you've never thought about this, but it's true. This is how it went. This is as close to as real as it could get. Again, think about how Joseph was supposed to uh, 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 take her and go all the way down to, to Bethlehem. A newly betrothed couple is forced to register for a census in a town that's far away. The woman is nine months pregnant. When they finally reach their destination, after an arduous journey, there is no place to stay. The woman gives birth in a stable. Scholars and clergy differ on whether or not the nativity stories in the Gospels of Luke and Matthew are historical accounts or just symbolic things of Christianity's beginning. I believe that happened. But here's the one thing that is certain. And here's something that we've never thought about. I never thought about this. The world of Mary and Joseph was a difficult and a very dangerous place. And you, Joseph, want to take that girl that's nine months pregnant on this trip? Hmm. A place where harsh conditions were not fully chronicled in the Gospels uh, on their travails. Writers of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, are so laconic about the nativity event. That means uh, um, they're so used to saying it and so used to uh, uh, looking at it. And we talked about that in visual lethargy about art. Because that they assume that the writer would know what it's all about and what it's like. This is said by James F. Strange, a New Testament and biblical archaeological professor at the University of South Florida in Tampa. Today, he added, we have no idea how difficult this journey was. And why are you telling us, Raj? Because we think we're living in difficult times, which sometimes we are. And the reason that I want to increase your faith is they made it. You can make it. That's why we're rejoicing. Joseph's and Mary's hardships would have begun more than a week before the birth of their son when the couple had to leave their home in Nazareth in the northern highlands of Galilee to register for a Roman census. They had to travel 90 miles to the city of Joseph's ancestors south along the flatlands of the Jordan River. So they started up here. They would go over, across the Jordan area, and down Jordan Valley, and over this way to Jerusalem. Everybody got that? They make a C. They don't make a straight line. That's 70 miles. This is 90. It was a fairly grueling trip, says Strange, who annually leads an excavation team at the ancient city of Sepphoris near Nazareth. 
In antiquity, the most we find people traveling is 20 miles a day. And this trip was very much uphill and downhill. It was not a simple thing to do. Just by yourself. But he has a pregnant girl. What? Strange estimates that Joseph and Mary likely would have traveled only 10 miles a day because of Mary's impending delivery. Who would want to ride a donkey? Really? And the trip through the Judean desert would have only taken place during the winter. Never thought of that, did you? How was the weather on this trip? It's 30s during the day, and it rains, says Strange. It's nasty and miserable, and at night it would be freezing. You think they got sick? I don't know. Possibly. To protect themselves during the inclement weather, Mary and Joseph would likely have worn heavy woodland cloaks constructed to shed the rain and the snow. Under their cloaks, the the ancient residents wore long robes belted at the waist, two black socks, and enclosed shoes protected their feet. The unpaved hilly trails in harsh weather were not the only hazards Joseph and Mary would have faced on their journey south. Never thought of this coming up either. One of the most terrifying dangers in ancient Palestine was the heavily forested valley of the Jordan River. That's where they went through. Strange says that lions and bears lived in the woods and travelers had to fend off the wild boars. Archaeologists have unearthed documents warning travelers of the forest's dangers. Does the Bible say that Joseph fought off a bear? Does it say he fought this off? Does it say he stayed awake at night to keep watch? Who would want to do that? He did. Tell me God didn't have a hand on it. And bandits and pirates of the desert and robbers were also a common hazard along this major trade route, like the one Joseph and Mary would have traveled, says the Reverend Peter Vasco. <clears throat> the threat of outlaws then forced solitary travelers to join trade caravans for protection. Mary and Joseph had to bring their own provisions in wineskins. They carried water. And they carried a lots of bread. Breakfast would be dried bread. Lunch would be oil with the bread. And herbs with oil and bread in the evening. These hardships did not end when Joseph and Mary arrived in Bethlehem either. So now you're thinking, all this trip, now you're in Bethlehem. Now you've got to register. But first of all, you've got to find a place to sleep. Second of all, you better find a midwife pretty fast. Under normal circumstances, he said the prayer would have expected to stay in the spare bedroom of a relative or another Jewish family. However, an overcrowd of Bethlehem would have forced Joseph and Mary to seek lodging in the private uh, primitive inn. It's widely agreed that Jesus was born in a cave used for housing animals. Probably so. 
But how realistic are the residence images of Joseph and Mary and the newborn Jesus surrounded by a menagerie of camels, oxen, cows, chickens, pheasants, and peacocks? Didn't happen. Since the stable was part of the inn, the only animals likely to be found there would be donkeys used for traveling and perhaps a few sheep. Both Strange and Vasco believe that overcrowded conditions in Bethlehem on the night of Jesus' birth would have resulted in others being close at hand during Mary's delivery. There were others present at the birth of Jesus, Vasco says. It's just human nature to help somebody. There's another account of the nativity where it always says when it was time to have the baby, Joseph went out looking for a midwife, referring <coughs> to other written... <coughs> either by James and considered the brother of Jesus, the apostle. Even though Mary could have had help and the cave may have provided some protection from the elements, the noisy and the dirty conditions under which Jesus was born would have made the event anything but warm and wonderful and sweet and comfortable to deliver a baby. Oh, let's just, it's just amazing. Do you know what? kind of health conditions that was? Do you know what kind of things God protected him from? Do you know how uh, a marvelous and of a miracle that in itself is? But be of good cheer, the scripture says, for I have overcome the world. If you would like to, you can look up health hazards in the first century of Palestine and read about all the disease and things that goes on. Do you know the infant mortality rate back then was 50%? And also along with the birth mother was also around 50%? So when you got pregnant back then in the first century Palestine, you had a 50-50 chance of living. Didn't think about that in the Christmas story, did you? Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Be with child, bring forth a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel. Aren't you glad for that name? Which being interpreted, God is with us. God's with us, Mary, all the way through this stuff. God's with us, Mary, in the darkness of the night in the, in the Jordan River Valley. God's with us, Mary, helping us in the Bethlehem. God's with us, Mary, all the way through this stuff. Last point, let's talk about the shepherds real quickly. They're within the same country, shepherds abiding in the fields. Ali, if you have those pictures, you can show those. These are when we were in Israel in 2016 in Bethlehem in the city. I, I don't know. The guide says this may not be the place, but that's the hills overlooking Bethlehem where the shepherds were. If you would look on the last picture, <clears throat> this is the city of Bethlehem here. If you look on the last one, the angels could have appeared up there into those cities, into those hills. That's a wonderful thing about going to a tour of Israel. It's, you may not know, but there was closely to this kind of a view that the shepherds felt. Over top, if you look in the left-hand corner over there on the city, over that hill is Jerusalem. That's how far it is from Jerusalem, a few miles. 
verse 8 of Luke 2, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Here's the point, which shall be to all people. This never happened before. He never said it's for everybody. Behold, I'll bring you good tidings just for you or your family, just for you or the government, just for you or the soldiers, just for you and this and that. All people. This is why billions celebrate his birth every year. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, my wife had found something. <clears throat> I don't have it. I didn't put it together to read it. It's about the manger being made out of stone. And that's what was within this this stable or the the uh, uh, <clears throat> the area that they kept the the um, the donkeys, the animals, and all that kind of stuff. It was made out of stone. So the shepherds knew how to protect things. They would wrap the newborn lamb and put it inside this stone cut out trough, feeding trough. You know, they tried to tell us when we were there at Jerusalem, or I'm sorry, in, in uh, Nazareth at the Church of Nativity, they had the original manger. Come on. <clears throat> Just trying to sell stuff. And it's probably a little wooden thing, got a sticker on it, made in China. Come on, they're just making all kinds of money. They had no idea. I like the idea that it was a protected place, very protected. And suddenly, verse 13, with the angel of the multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Came to pass as the angels are gone away from the heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen it, they made known abroad, saying, which was told them concerning the child. And all that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things. And pondered them in her heart. She just kept adding and adding and adding. Moms do that. The shepherds returned glorifying, praising God for all the things that they had seen. And it was told unto them. So why did God tell the shepherds? Anybody ever think of that question? Well, shepherds are very humble people. Just like us. <laughs> They're amazed that God would tell them first. Plus, they were like David. David was a shepherd. Plus, they're kind of like pastors that are shepherds. So this kind of is a um, type of the church, the early church that's coming along. That's what I get it out. Well, why didn't he tell the religious re elite people, the Pharisees or, the, or uh, Caesar Augustus? Why didn't he tell them that? Because they probably would expect to know that first. So their uppity, you know, pious attitudes and say, God told me. Not like that at all. 
Aren't you glad God uses just common, everyday people like that? God uses common people. Second, because I think the shepherds were obedient, and we know that what we read about, and how they witnessed and how it spread throughout the area. How we should spread and be a witness of what God has done for us. Who better than a shepherd that knows how to take care of a newborn and its family? I'm with them, aren't you? Let's stand together and rejoice, can we? Thank you for your attention today. Lord bless you as we go through our service. looking from a, a, a position of weakness, a position of frailty, a position of poverty. We're looking at a position of strength and majesty and glory. Doesn't matter what, God will see you through. Amen. Lord bless you. We're into our prayer time. We'll see you back at 10 for service.